You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators. Patricia Wells is a journalist, author, and teacher who runs a popular cooking school at home with Patricia Wells in Paris and Provence. She's won the James Beard Award for the Provence Cookbook, Patricia Wells at Home in Provence, and Simply French. Also nominated for the James Beard Awards were the books Vegetable Harvest and The Paris Cookbook. You know what's great about food is it changes every day. It's never the old, same old, same old, and we've got seasons. It's just constantly exciting. To me, a three-ingredient recipe is, is the best. She joins us today in our very noisy conference room where there is drilling going on. I'm going to try to ignore it. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. So my first question is, when you were a younger person, you were interested in journalism because right. you, you were attracted to the idea of researching and going closer, you know, sort of more in-depth into a story. Tell us how that interest led you to this marvelous life as a cook and a cooking teacher and a writer and a cookbook author and all of the fabulous things that you've done. Well, I think that um, the idea of journalism and being a journalist, to me, was a chance to talk to the man on the street and a woman on the street and get questions that you couldn't get answers to otherwise. So you were nosy? Is that what you're just saying? No, I think curious. I was okay. curious. I think nosiness. No, no, just curiosity. Digging deeper. Okay. Digging deeper. Yeah. Getting the answers to questions. And actually, I, I started my career as, a, as a, an art critic at oh. the Washington Post. And I actually had a weekly beat where I would go to all of the modern art galleries and do a little column. And to tell you the truth, I found it very boring because for the same reason, I, d- I wouldn't I didn't talk to anybody. Hmm. I'd go into the Smithsonian and talk to the curator. But there was, you know, if it was an an exhibit on ancient Indian art, of course, it, there wasn't going to be any artist to talk to. And then I found also that most artists were not very good interviews because everything they had to say was in their work. So at the same time, I always loved to cook, but I never knew that I could combine journalism and food because back in the 70s, that, that didn't done, really yeah. exist. There was Betty Crocker, and that was it. Little by little, I geared towards the food angle. And I know from growing up, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't always have good food around me, good ingredients. My mother was a great home cook. Everything was made from scratch. She made her own pies and cakes every weekend. She canned everything. I wouldn't say we had the most incredible cuisine in the world, but we all, I, everything was always fresh. And you grew up near Milwaukee. In Milwaukee, yeah. in Milwaukee. So one thing led to the other, and I moved from the Washington Post to the New York Times in the 70s and moved from doing art to becoming a full-fledged food writer. So it was just a good serendipitous moment. And you left... New York to go to Paris with what you thought was a two-year assignment. Exactly. Go, that was 30, 36 years 36 ago. 36 years ago. Right. And you and your husband, Walter, have been there ever since. Right. And you have, felt, you have filled positions that no other woman has held. So tell it's, us a little bit about those. Well, it's quite amazing. Um, when we decided to go for two years, I mean, I had to give up my job at the New York Times, which was not easy mentally of because I, my whole life had been geared towards working for a great newspaper. But I figured, oh, well, I'm young enough, I can recover. And we thought in two years, maybe they'd hire us back anyway. So we moved to Paris, and it so happened that 
the restaurant critic from the Herald Tribune was leaving, so I was, was able to move into that job. Uh, I went with the idea of publishing a book called The Food Lover's Guide to Paris, which nobody wanted in the beginning, and then Peter Workman kindly said oh, yes. It was, yeah, yeah. And so that just moved on from one book to the other. And in the 90s, my books were published in French, and I was on all the talk shows in Paris and so on and so forth. And, uh, in fact, I was invited to be on Apostrophe, which was the show of, at that time, you can't imagine, it was 8 o'clock on Friday night. No and, one would leave. And everyone and would watch everyone it. Everyone would watch it. And that show just boosted me into the, the sky. Yeah, because the you French. were an expert on there, yeah. I mean, the next week, I got a call from L'Express, which is like French Newsweekly, like Time or Newsweek. And they asked to be, uh, they wanted me to be their restaurant critic. And I, my response was, well, my written French isn't very good. And he said, well, we're a liberal publication, but I hope you don't mind if we translate you. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that for about four years. And uh, I don't know how I did it, though, because I still continued my Herald Tribune reviews. Yeah, so you did both at the same both. time. Wow. And my nightmare would always be that I was going to, I had a, I had a, a column due the next morning, and I went to the restaurant, and it was closed. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's your version of showing up on stage naked. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. But it has been a great thrill to be able to follow the stream of what's happened in the food world, in the restaurant world, in the cooking world for, for that period of time. So I'm interested in your the guidebook story where you had the idea to write and publish a guidebook at a time, really, again, when there wasn't really such a thing. There was nothing. There was no internet. There was no, you know, I mean, if you wanted something. If you wanted to know what to do, you had to sort of go and figure it out yourself. Well, I laugh now because, I mean, if I wanted to look at a copy of the menu, I'd have to call the restaurant and ask them to mail me the menu. Isn't that something? Can you imagine? But I also know that in preparing for this interview, I was very excited, and I told my niece, who's a foodie and a traveler, and she said, oh, yes, I used her books when we went to France last year. She 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 literally guided me, which is, of course, your goal. So how does that feel, to realize, in fact, what you've done, which is to sort of prepare an introduction or an immersion in in France and in Paris and Provence, the way to go experience what you hope to have them experience, which is great food and great company. How does that feel to know that you've succeeded and you've had such tremendous influence? Well, there are two wonderful things. One, uh, when the book first came out, someone told me about being, you know, in line at the airport, checking in, and they had a copy of the first Food Lover's Guide to Paris. And the uh, flight attendant or whatever said, oh, the Food Lover's Guide to Paris, the book that cracks the code. And uh, so, oh, so that's where that came. That's funny. Yes. So the idea that I've done this research for you and you can profit from it. The other thing is, um, in the early days, especially the restaurant restaurateurs would say, "You have the nicest readers." And what it means is uh, that yeah. people went to the restaurant for a reason, not just because, you know, they went there for the Coquille Saint-Jacques or they went there for the, the fabulous wine list or they went there because Jacques was a great maitre d. And they were there because they wanted to be there and they were there with a reason and a purpose. Oh, so I that's see. the best kind of customer you want. That's very interesting. So they knew that these folks were there to really enjoy the sort of the exactly. right things and not, not to play restaurant and show see me. and be seen and all that stuff. Right. Oh, that's very right. interesting. Right. 
So that's, you know, that's very encouraging. And, you know, having just reissued the Food Lover's Guide to Paris and then also have the app, it's interesting to see that they both are very successful. They've both been yeah. successful because there's still a lot of people who want that book. Yes. They want to, you know, they want to carry that book around. Yes. Or I know a lot of people who use both. You know, they have the book, but then they'll, you know. Yeah, they'll want the mobile yeah. thing. Yeah. Now, do you think you could have moved to any other country and had this sort of same career trajectory? Do you think there's something that's simply distinctive to France, or are there other countries where this is sort of You know, possible? I might have done it in Italy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, half, I'm half Italian, and I'm, I'm Italian in my soul. So I think, I think I could have done it in Italy, though it's harder to get through things there. Yeah. Um, we love France. We love Paris. We love Provence. We love everywhere. And it's, it's still a privilege to live there. It's such a privilege. So tell us a little bit about becoming, because you now, a large part of your effort and your time is spent teaching cooking. That's correct. So right. tell me a little bit about your own education and how you became such a proficient and, and strong cook. Well, I'm still always learning. You know, the teacher is the one who learns the most, I think they say. I don't have professional training. I don't have a degree in anything but journalism. And I'd like to say that, you know, I learned from the best chefs in the world. I mean, I used to, when I first came to Paris, I had a lot of time on my hands. And I would spend a lot of time in kitchens. I would go to a restaurant two or three times, then I'd introduce myself and say, you know, can could I, just, I spend a day in the kitchen? Can I just come back? And they right. would agree. Absolutely. Yeah. They always let me in. And there's still, to this day, I can I can close my eyes and hear Joabra Bouchon saying, Patricia, don't forget to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, do it this way. And so I think that, plus just doing things over and over and yeah, over again. Yeah, the simple repetition. Repeating that same And side recipe. by side, you know, that, that time exactly. that you spent so that somebody would say, this is how you you use a knife. I remember when I, I first worked in a commercial kitchen, same sort of, sort of thing where I had no training, and, and somebody came over and grabbed the knife and said, you don't use your whole arm. You know, you really just, because right. you have to have economy right. of motion if you're going to be there all day and get through what you need to get through. So right. even something little like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know what's great about food is it changes every day. It's never the old, same old, same old. And we've got seasons. It's, to me, it's just constantly exciting. What I see in your work of instruction is the emphasis on the fundamentals. Right. Right? right. So that, that is just key to you and your, your entire well, approach. So often I would see my students, they don't know why they're blanching. They don't know that yeah. they're searing. They don't know the technique. Why should I be, why should I be using this or that or yeah. this pan? Or um, I'm, I, I think that's what I sometimes surprises me the most, at how little people pay attention to like, for instance, they always take a pan too small for the job. Interesting. Always. That's something you see always. over and over. Oh, my it's God. Like, now I'm flashing back wondering like, if I do it's that like myself. Kind of, why are you economizing? What are you gonna, I mean, I, when I see myself do that, I say, Patricia, you know. Um, oh, my goodness. What are you so saving? Nothing. <laughs> Washing one inch of the pot. <laughs> that is so interesting. I wonder if I do that myself. You've said that you've asked, how can a good cook become a great cook? The difference is in the details. Learning principles that will last you a lifetime. That's right. And your new book, which I want to talk about, because you've got a new book that's coming in March um, 2017, and it's called My Master Recipes, 165 Recipes to Inspire Confidence in the Kitchen. Of course, the 165 has an asterisk that says, with dozens of variations. <laughs> and in it, you're going to share your knowledge of, of things like blanching and searing and simmering and 
all of the the pantry essentials and and what you should invest in and and that sort of thing. I want to ask you a question. I'm a tightwad. I I I'm a home cook for a number of reasons, but one one of them is also just to to save money and to eat well. It, so if you do you help folks prioritize like, oh, okay, you know what? Good olive oil is worth the investment. This other thing over here might just be more Absolutely. of a, okay, In yeah. fact, I have a rule that, I mean, there are lots of gadgets I'd kind of like to have and use, but for instance, I, I did, I spent a long time and even took courses in um, vacuum sealed, you know, sous vide. Oh, yeah, sous vide, yeah. With the hopes that I would find, would give you a reason to do it at home. Yeah. No. 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 Good. Thank I tried you. everything. I mean, yeah, you can do <clears throat> certain things are, are a little bit better. But to ask people to, and, and back then you had to invest in so much equipment. Oh, yeah. And who's got the space? And for for that reason, partially, I don't do it very very much anymore because I can't really, I don't show my students. Yeah. And, and every time I do buy a gadget, I think, you know, is this going to make them a better cook? Okay. Um, even though I'm a gadget girl. I think that, and I especially with ingredients. I don't want people to, for instance, do you need to have zero, zero flour for your pizza? No. I mean, I've done a million tests. Do you need to order it special online? Right. Or can you just go to your right. supermarket and get a good, decent flour? And I'll tell people, well, I find this makes a little difference. Okay. And if you want to be obsessive, go ahead. But... I'm not going to insist that you do it. It's not going to make that much of a different mm -hmm. difference. The same thing with olive oil. I use olive oil for just about everything or nut oils, but because it's, I mean, we may, we have our own olive oil. Yeah, you know, it's just, accessible. I'm so jealous of that. But I don't insist that you go out and buy a hundred. In fact, I say don't buy that hundred dollar bottle of oil. Um, there are books, and I give my students a list of the oils that are inexpensive. Well relatively inexpensive, yeah, yeah. but for daily use. Yeah. It just takes a little bit more research to do that, but you can save a lot of money that yeah. way. What's your opinion on the home delivery, the, the cooking kits that are that you know, are popular? I, I'd be curious to try them. I've yeah, never tried them. Tried them. I don't I have a I have a few single friends who use them and I I don't know what their reaction is to it. I don't have anything against it. It's anything that'll get people in the kitchen to cook their own food, I think, is good. Yeah, I think that's a lot of... You know, I just I just bought a subscription for my 20-year-old son who's at college. Because, again, I gave him I gave him a few cookbooks to say, okay, this is how... And, of course, right. he's watched me for years, but I guess sure. never really paid attention. And I do think that having this land on his counter with the pictures and the instruction right. over a year, I think is going to help teach yeah. him. I'd love to I'd love to experiment with them. I think it's a good direction. Yeah. As long as the ingredients are good and the recipe's simple. Exactly. Um, and that's one thing I want to emphasize, too, about all my food, and not to criticize what's out there in the world, but 90% of the time I look at a recipe and I think, you don't need all that stuff. Yeah. Do we really need pumpkin with walnuts and chorizo yeah. and bacon? Yeah. No. Yeah. How about just pumpkin and maybe a little pumpkin oil? Do you think salt? it's like when you get put an outfit on and you look in the mirror well, and it's like take away, <laughs> take, take off. away two things? What is what's the rule? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I think as an Americans, we tend to overpower everything. Mm. And and I think that comes perhaps from a past where things didn't have much flavor, so you had mm -hmm. to boost them. Mm -hmm. To me, a three-ingredient recipe is is the best. Is the ideal. Yeah. 
So I want to talk to you now about your life as a writer mm-hmm. because you've you've written so many different things. You, you're a restaurant critics, and I would want to take them sort of one one at a time. So as a restaurant reviewer, what was the best and the worst about that actual work of of writing? The best was always, you know, having something new to 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 chew on. Um, I don't know that there's a worst. I, I think, well, it was always hard for me to be negative to mm. to a restaurant. Um, and I always felt that if I went to a, a little guy restaurant um, and it wasn't very good, I just wouldn't write about it. But excuse me, if it was Alain Ducasse and you were taken to the cleaners and you had a horrible experience, then I think yeah. my readers should know about, know that. about that. Yeah. So sometimes I, sometimes I did pull out the big guns, but it was it was hard. Did you do the thing where you were went in disguise? No. Um, I always reserved under another name, except where, you know, I feel when in France, do as the French do. The French would never go in disguise. Um, and it, it, in certain places, it was impossible. I mean, if I walked in the door, they knew who I was. I would so think in many places. Why would, you know? But I never felt that... It made a huge difference. I mean, you could look, okay, so we're getting an extra little appetizer. But if you look around the restaurant and either everyone's having a great time or people are waving their hand to try to get some attention, then you know how other people are being treated. That's an easy visual. And, you know, how much could they, sure, they can make things a little different for what's on your plate. But in 99% of the time, I would be going two or three times so I could evaluate and how has preparing the guidebooks? Because you're, did you just release, or are you about to release in print at least the fourth? Is it the fourth edition? Yes. No, that came out I think about two years oh, ago. Oh, okay, right. So and, how has that work changed? And oh, so dramatically. It's right? in fact, it's frustrating because, especially with the app, I could eat out five days a week and have to change every every yeah. review. I mean, we went last so Saturday. We went to place in our neighborhood, my review is totally off because they've changed the chef. They've changed, oh you know, goodness. they used to have oysters and things. They don't anymore. And and part of me just sighs and says, oh, all that hard work. Now I've got to start from scratch again. Wow. <laughs> new pictures, new text, new everything. But that's also, I don't have to do that. I mean, because the app is me. It's mine. There's nobody telling me I have to update it. Yeah. Do you have folks that do you have sort of folks that go out and actually do this, or do you do all of it? I do all of it. My I have an assistant who we you know we kind of see what needs to be updated. In yeah. fact, now that this book is finally finished, that's a bad yeah. Um, that's our next big push is to really update the app, mm-hmm. really get it up to date. It's mostly up to date, but I mean, for instance, Alan Ducasse had one chocolate place when we when the book came out. Now he has five or six. And so, you know, each, that's that's the hard part, the frustrating part too, is that they used to, people just had one shop. Now they have 20. Yeah. And how do you keep up with all that? And how do they keep the quality up? Yeah. I have, I have problems with that, but it's the modern world and you can't fight that. Yeah. Now, how about writing the cookbooks? What is that like? And, and how has that changed at all? I think in terms of research and writing, in that sense, it's easier. I mean, we have all the computers and yeah. so on. I mean, when yeah, I yeah, wrote yeah. the first Food Lover's Guide to Paris, we didn't even have home com- computers. Right. And I had to mail in the text. There, was mm-hmm. no, there weren't any faxes or, mm-hmm. you know, when I think about that, mailing in all your text. 
it's not easier today with yeah, with, yeah. with all those advances. I think it just makes us, um, we can pay attention to more detail than mm-hmm. we could before. Which is good. And, and hopefully bad. get yeah. things mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. better, better right. <laughs> <laughs> more right. More right. What are a couple pieces of advice for the cook who's adept at sort of, say, everyday cooking, but now he or she has a larger number of people? Because I sometimes struggle when I'm expanding or I'm doubling or, or, or yes. whatever it is, those recipes. Um, so, and just just an overall, do you have any sort of words of wisdom for those of us who are hosting? And so our house is going to be full. Everybody's going to be asking, oh, what can I do? You just want to say nothing because you're a control freak. Um, sorry, I said it out <laughs> loud for myself. But, you know, so what are, do you have any sort of keep nuggets of simple? Keep it simple. Okay. Because I think that's you your know, mantra in general. Well, keep right? it simple because your family, your friends are coming to see you, not just for your food. Yeah. Um, try to little things like set the table the day before. Okay. Those sorts of things. Make sure that, you know, you're not doing anything for the first time, any yeah, recipe. <laughs> Try to pre-test everything, you know, and vegetable dishes and so on. Like, I know for me, like, there are a lot of recipes I don't do because they're 12 individual portions, and I can't get 12 into my oven, okay? Yeah. So do a casserole or something that can serve, you can serve out of a, a casserole. Yeah. Um, I love roasting birds, you know, so, you know, find a good quality chicken or turkey or whatever and you know use your instinct and and so on i think that's the best advice i can give people all right I need and to- have nice wine <laughs> yes thank you <laughs> check <laughs> cozy up to your wine merchant all right already done all right but i have to go back so what is what's the rule on the size of pan uh, because now I, I, this is distracting me that that you you see this problem all the time. There's what, no rule. There's but well, no how rule. do you get? So how do you gauge it and get it right? I would say just use a pan bigger than you think you're going to need. Just always use a pan bigger well, than for, you think. Well, for stovetop, but for for the oven, if you're roasting something, you don't want to put a quail in a gigantic yeah. roasting pan that'll hold a, a turkey. So just I mean, use your judgment on that. I do have a this really big restaurant frying pan that I have started to use more. But now that you say it, <laughs> if I did use it every time, it would probably be better than when I sometimes use the smaller, oh, the smaller saute pan. Yeah. And I've also given up the microwave, and that's made a tremendous improvement in my entire life. But I will tell you. What I'm, do you use a, it for? Well, I'm a big fan of having hot plates. Hot plates. Hot, I mean, you know, warm plates. Warm food, warm plates. Oh, okay, I'm yes. obsessive about oh, that. Oh, so you put them in the microwave? Well, no. I, well, yes. Okay. I have a, 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 a warming drawer. That's oh, for, that's what, nice. Well, in the cooking classes, I was I kept finding that by the time you got 12 plates to the table, they weren't warm anymore, even though I had it at max. So I even went into cookware stores and I said, what kind of plates should I be that having that will retain the heat? I got some of those. Didn't make enough of a difference for the beauty of the plate, right? So then I tested in the microwave. And with, you know, using a, one of those... Um, Thermometers, uh, laser thermometers, so you could tell what the oh, temperature of the plate was. Thermometer, awesome. Microwave is so much better for heating a plate. Plates. In fact, I'm doing a new kitchen. I'm not even going to put a warming drawer in. I'm going to get a big a microwave. Big microwave. And do you think, just for heating plates. Do you think that's all you'll use it for? Probably. I right? mean, the one I have, I don't ever use for anything. Because I don't miss it at all. No. In fact, I took it out of one of my kitchens. And I, yeah. But, for heating plates. For heating plates. 
Okay, see, we waited to the very end to get to the greatest nugget of information. That's going to make a difference. That, that, that really helps. I think you're absolutely no, right. I mean, they, they're scorchingly hot. Scorchingly okay, good hot. to know. But I just get so upset when there are 12 people at the table and my plate comes and I think you're absolutely hot. right because when I do take the time to do it, it, it is so much better. Oh. But I always do the weird, yeah, you're popping it in the oven or you're putting it right. close to the flame and trying to get it right. You know. Yeah. All right, this is very, very helpful. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so very much. Great, thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed what you've heard, and if you have, that you'll subscribe. To do so, you just go to your podcast app, search for Harper Audio Presents, and click subscribe. That way, you'll never miss a conversation of publisher plus author plus microphone.